Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. I got a long message, uh, and so I got to get into it. Um, I want to make sure I get you out of here in about two hours. Does that sound good? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, somebody sent me a text message uh, reminding me of the joke I made one time. A long sermon and a hostage situation are very similar because they're both like, when can you let me go free? It's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. I'm not going to hold you hostage today, all right? I'm going I'm to preach a quick one. I'll try my best. Time of message is the man who fixes broken things. The man who fixes broken things. We're in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be in Luke 15. Let's get to work. Let's go to the Bible. If you have your Bibles, Nehemiah 1. Here we go. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King uh, Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I had asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things are going in Jerusalem. Just a simple question. How are things going? Question we get asked all the time, but it's amazing when you get a real answer, when you're going through real things. Here's the answer. They said to me, things are not going well. Stop. If somebody asks you right now, how's your marriage doing? Would your answer be fantastic? But really on the inside, things are not going well. If somebody asks you how your life's doing, maybe on the outside, oh, we're doing great. I'm doing great. But on the inside, things are not going well. Anybody a Warrior fan in the house? Come on now, NBA Finals champs. Anybody like winners in the house? That's what I thought. Anybody like the Lakers in the house? Anyway, okay, Joe Little. Stop that, Laker fans. You in the Bay Area. Okay, anyways. So the finals just ended, and I, just, I was having this thought when I was preparing my message. It's interesting. I'm watching the NBA Finals and, um, you know, moved up here 10 years ago. My Sonics are gone, so I didn't have an NBA team, so I adopted the Warriors, and it really has made it into my heart. Like, I care deeply. When they lose, I'm upset. When they win, my life just feels better. I don't know why, but that's what it means to be a fan. But I'm watching this game, and it's interesting. Uh, there's some players that can't play. They're injured. Like, literally, like, there's a, they're on the IR, if you will, you know, the injured reserve. And it says, you know, their knee is hurt for this long, and they're going to be hurt for this long, and they can come back then. But also, the thing that's fascinating, in the game, some guys are playing hurt. They're playing injured. And the other part of the game is, as they're playing the game, they're going to get hurt. And the reality is, the only way you don't get hurt is if you don't play. But the reality is, is all of us are playing this thing called life. And in this room right now, some of you are really injured. You can't do anything, basically. Don't ask me to love someone. I'm that hurt. I need to be literally on the IR, the injured reserve of life. Some of you are like the ones that are in the game, and you're playing hurt. Oh, you're playing, but you got some injuries. You got some wounds. People have broken you. And then some of you, you're feeling great. But the longer you play life, you're going to taste some brokenness. Can I get an amen for that? That's not a thing we celebrate. That's just the reality of what the life we live in. I was at a, a lunch uh, recently, and it just reminded me of something. My, my, my buddy, a good friend of mine, uh, a few years ago, his wife left him. They have kids, everything. And he did not want his wife to leave him. He fought for it. He fought for her to stay. He was asking people to pray. He was saying, I'll do anything you need me to do. He, had no, he didn't cheat on anything like that. She was just done. She just didn't want to be married anymore. Something in her head just said, I'm done with this. I mean, again, she got married real quick after that. We'll talk about it, a different story. But basically, she said, I'm done. And so he is just broken over this. And I remember going out to lunch with him uh, like months afterwards and standing in front of him and just hearing him talk. And he was just so broken. I mean, just 
just defeated in every way. The, the, the um, studies show the most painful thing you can go uh, through is actually not experiencing the death of somebody. It's actually just uh, experiencing a divorce. The, the, the betrayal of somebody, just something painful. So, so for years, I've been having lunches with him. In the very beginning, he was on the sidelines, broken, broken. And then about a year later, you could tell he started living life again. He was just attending church to the most he could do because sometimes he couldn't make it to church because he just didn't even want to leave the house. And I remember two years into this journey, he says, I think I'm ready to serve at church again. And we just had lunch this week, and I'm hearing him talk, and I hear hope. I hear joy. I hear expectancy for his life. And again, this is a three-year thing. And I wish, I wish, I wish, just like when an athlete tears their ACL, the doctor says, three to six months. Three to six months, you got you to work this thing, and in six months, you'll be running again. I wish, I wish we had some kind of diagnosis. Hey, you just got betrayed, four to five months, and this thing will be beaten again. I wish, I wish we had some kind of thing that could tell us this will only take one year, two months, one week, but the reality is, is the only way you'll know is if you're committed to see the other end of it. I, I wrote this down. I got a quote for you. Uh, I, ho- I hope you like it. I worked on it, okay? Um, uh, pain is unavoidable, but staying hurt is optional. Let me, let me say it this way uh, for my friend that I was just thinking about. Um, experiencing brokenness, it's unavoidable. People are going to betray you. You're going to experience bro- brokenness. You're going to make careless decisions and create brokenness. Brokenness is unavoidable, but staying broken is optional. Aren't you glad that we have a God that fixes broken things? Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful he fixes things I can't fix. I am so bad at fixing things. Last week, we had a water line break to our house. The main line to our house, it cracked and started. I walked um, out of my house one day, and our little um, cement path started going like this, and water was coming above it. And I was like, well, that's not normal. Is that, did the uh, sprinkler uh, just do a little more sprinkly? You know, I didn't, I, I was like, I told Rachel, like, I think the sprinkler head's broke. Um, so we go to Napa with my parents, thinking it's fine. I come back, then the lawn is all soaky soak. And I was like, okay, I don't know why I'm talking to baby. I think it's the baby dedication got me. Soaky soak. Wakey wake. Uh, it's in my head. Um, so, uh, so we go to Napa, come back. And so I'm like, oh, I got to turn the water off. And now I'm hosting my parents. They were in town last week. And I can't fix it. I felt helpless. Oh, I felt, I mean, I'm turning the, I had to turn the water off. I had to give this talk. Hey, in the Johnson household, we don't flush number ones right now, okay? It was like that weird, okay? You don't want to host people like that. And then when I, then I go turn the water on, we flush the toilet. Oh, you got a shower? Sorry, we don't do that no more in this house. You know, so I had to turn the water on so people shower and then turn it off. Finally, I, I called one of our uh, people at our church who's a plumber. I said, man, um, found the leak. It's spraying out. Should I put a new line in? He goes, I'll send my buddy over. He'll fix it. Bam, he'll take care of it. And what I love is, is when my water line broke, I didn't go, it just, it is what it is. For the rest of my life, we never flush number ones. A few years ago, my parents were visiting. Started leaking. Turned the water off. This house, no more water. I shower once in a while, but don't shower a lot. Once the water line broke, it's over. No. It's very natural for me to say, you know what? I'm going to call somebody who I know can fix it. And the reality is, is some of you, some things have leaked, some things have cracked, some things have broke. And if I asked you today, how are things going? Things are not going well. And that answer could be from five years ago, you haven't dealt with something. Can I tell you, there's somebody you can call that can fix it. Because I know a man who fixes things. I want to keep reading this to you. So Nehemiah says, I, I, I asked a question and the report was, things are not going well. Put, the, put this graphic up real quick. Just check this graphic out. Look at this picture. I sent a picture in. 
Gallup poll, belief in God among U.S. adults dips to an all-time low. How's it going as being a pastor, Tyler? Not going well. We got an all-time low report. I, I'm, I'm a pastor. All my buddies, uh, we didn't grow up in church. I was not a Christian at all. All my friends were, I, I love it when people come to church. They're like, bro, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. I'm like, try me. Yeah, that was called Friday night before I found the Lord, okay? Oh, oh, you've done that? I've been pastor for 19 years. Trust me, your story is the not most broken or the worst story I've ever heard. Stop elevating your story like the worst story ever. Okay, like mine's the only, un- I know those who have been redeemed, this one can't be redeemed. It can be redeemed. And so, so all my buddies got saved now. And so they're like, you know, they, they, um, they read the news. And so I got like seven texts in one week. Hey, don't know if you know, but I heard church sucks now. I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the encouraging text, guys. And it bothered me. And I think the reason why church isn't going well is because people, I'm just, I'm going to go all over the place today. Can I go all over the place today? I'm going to hop around Luke 15. I think, I, I, you need to hear this. I, I think the reason why things are, are the church is, is somewhat uh, declining is people are broken on the outside. Because there's two options you deal with brokenness. Let's just talk about it real quick. I'm so going ahead of my message, but I, I feel like I'm in the pocket right now. Okay, so, so, so there's two things that happen in brokenness, okay? The first thing's this. I'm broken, I'm gonna ignore it, I'm gonna run from God, and I'm gonna just submerse myself in the world to cope with my brokenness. This will be the prodigal son in Luke 15, which we'll read. So I'm just gonna run from God. Uh, This will be the irreligious background. You say, I don't need anything from God. I curse God, I'm over God, brokenness, whatever. And then you start trying to talk yourself into celebrating your brokenness or, or, or telling people that, you know what, it is what it is, and this is just my lot in life, and then your identity becomes your brokenness. So that's one way. Another way people deal with brokenness is they go to church, and they don't run from God, they try to control God. And it's called religion. And they, they treat God like a boss and like, I'm gonna fix my brokenness by, uh, one, one scholar I was reading said this way, there's only three ways you deal with brokenness. You deal with it aesthetically. Aesthetically, aka, I'm going to build things around me so you don't see the brokenness inside of me. I'm gonna build a career up so you don't see this. I'm gonna build my religious resume up so you don't see this. So I'm gonna do the aesthetic way. Another way would be the ethical way. I'm gonna build this ethical wall up of all these good things that I do. Oh, look how great I am. I do this and I serve this and I'm part of this political party. Oh, I'm gonna build this up so you don't see the brokenness inside of me. Or there's another route, spiritual. The spiritual, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a spiritual uh, component to my life. And the reality is, I always wonder like, why would somebody get in a cult? I know why. Because they're so broken, they'll try anything. Because maybe, maybe it is spiritual. Maybe, just maybe, I got to go find a God that will fix me. And that's why there's so many attacks on the church, and that's why there's so many different religions to try to confuse people, but there's only one God that can really fix what is broken. Come on. So, so I think sometimes why the church is struggling is people leave an irreligious background and come to a religious background and just find religion. You're not going to find religion here. You're going to find Jesus here. You're going to find everybody in this room that has been saved in this house or came to this house and fallen to the Lord. You're going to find people saying, man, I was a train wreck. I was so messed up. I was so broken. And he started putting me back together. And not in the way that you've seen. No, he put me back together in a different way. He gave me a new life and a new promise. He got rid of the scraps and he gave me the first of the best. That's the kind of God we worship, okay? I think I should get back to my message. Okay. Okay. So Nehemiah 
Gets a report, things are not going well, here's his response. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and failing love with those who love and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. He goes on to say, would you restore this broken land? Would you restore this? And the reason why he's asking, it's kind of weird to be honest. He goes, hey, how's it going in Israel? Uh, the wall is broken down. It's rubble. And so he just hears a report that a wall is broken down and it's rubble. Why is, does he weep over a wall being broken? If you read Nehemiah and you don't really know context, it's going to make you go, man, that guy really loved walls. <laughs> the wall's broke. I love that wall. I used to love going. Just, I love your wall. I used to love hugging the wall. It was just the most beautiful wall. I just love walls. He's weeping over a wall. The reason why he's weeping over a wall, if you don't know the cultural context for, uh, for nations back then, if you didn't have a wall, you had no hope for an abundant life. You had, the, the wall represented hope. The wall represented identity. The wall, he wasn't weeping over brick and mortar. He was weeping over what that brick and mortar represented for the people that wanted to live for God. Jesus said simply this, I came to give life and life abundantly in John 10, 10, because the world is good at tearing you down, but I'm great at building you up. And so, so he came and, and makes this promise, and Nehemiah is weeping over a wall. And so I was thinking, do I, do I stay in Nehemiah too? Do I, do, I, do I just teach out of Nehemiah? But the reality is, is Nehemiah is just a picture of Jesus, because the Bible says that Jesus is the better prophet. So he's a better Elijah. He's a better Elisha. He's a better Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, great story. I, I, I love this story. I was, I was thinking about talking to you about Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah 3 is this tedious chapter about just everybody who is building the wall to create identity and hope and have the people live an abundant life again. And uh, when you read uh, Nehemiah 3, it's just this um, name, this person and what they do, this person and what they do. And really what you see is you see doctors and pastors, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, um, outlaws, everybody, literally anybody who's an Israelite standing next to each other uh, with one mission, building a beautiful thing. And it's a picture of what First Peter says the church is going to be, that we're all going to work hand in hand. You're going to get people from every background, every job thing, every lifestyle, and they're going to find the Lord, and they're going to stand shoulder to shoulder, and they're going to build something beautiful. So, so, so what does the story of Nehemiah mean to us? Am I going to preach to you about how we build a great wall today? No, okay. I almost preached Nehemiah uh, back in the day when it was Make America Great Again, and um, uh, talking about building walls. Remember that? Does anybody remember that? So I was like, I can't preach Nehemiah for years. You know, like, like literally Nehemiah was mega, make Israel great again, and by building a wall. I was like, this is, this is, this is too soon. This is way too soon. But it's completely different. Let me show you the picture of what Nehemiah is, okay? Don't get your political lens on this, okay? Um, may the Lord open your eyes to the goodness of this. So, so Nehemiah represents Jesus, and the Bible shows us that the whole Bible, six, six books, written by 40 authors, everything points to Jesus. It's not a book of principles. It's a book about a person. It's this love story from Genesis to Revelation that a person named Jesus, a God named Jesus, a Savior named Jesus, literally everything he did, every part of it, the reason why he was doing it was to get to you was to get you out of hell and get you into heaven, to get you out of lack and get you in abundance, to get you out of darkness and into light. This is why he did what he did. So that's what Nehemiah represents. The people with Nehemiah represents the church. We're going to stand shoulder to shoulder we're going to stand with you, Jesus. You're the cornerstone. We're the living stones. Jesus, we're going to stand with you. We're going to build what you called us to build. So what is our wall today then? What are we called to build? It's people. We're called to build people. Because the reality is, is all of us look like the wall. All of us look like the wall at one time in our life where we have been broken down to rubble. 
And if there's nobody there to build us back up, we're hopeless. And so Jesus came on the scene and said, I'm going to get people who are just as broken. I'm going to build them up. And they're going to keep building other people up. And this wall, what it represents in your life is simply this. It will bring back identity to you. It will bring hope back to you. It will bring back joy and abundance to you. Will you bow your heads? I'm going to pray. God, we come before you. Oh, I pray right now that this message, God, that it would be one that would just pierce hearts today. God, I think about what your word says in Matthew 16, that you're the one that opens eyes to who you are. Would you open eyes today to the goodness of who you are? God, we're not trying to find a useful God. We want to find a beautiful God. God, we don't see you as somebody we want to use. We want to see you as somebody we want to worship and live for. So God, would you open eyes today? Would your word do what it's supposed to do today? Would it pierce hearts? God, may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? I don't know about you, but if you look at our culture, our culture is obsessed with building. They're obsessed with it. As a little kid, what do you start doing? You build forts. Who built forts in the house? You are a builder. Who loved Legos in the house? You're a builder. Who was rich and did Build-A-Bear in a house? The rich builders. I will pay $65 to build a bear. If that ain't a cold-blooded hustle, I don't know what is. So we need a factory to build some bears to sell to the kids. Time out. What if we made the kids that wanted to buy the bears build them for themselves and charge them to build it for themselves? Bob, you're a genius. We'll call it Build-A-Bear. I remember we were in uh, Disneyland a handful of years ago, and there was a Build-A-Bear in downtown Disney, and it was uh, like a special edition Build-A-Bear. It was Beauty and the Beast movie that just came out, and so there was the Beauty Bear. And I remember seeing the Beauty Bear, and she's like, I was like, that is not a beauty bear, and a kid's going to pay 100 bucks to make, I mean, if you see the, Google the beauty bear, and it is literally like a, the ugliest thing ever. Kids are paying $100 to build this bear. We're obsessed with building. And then after we grow out of that phase of building, we start building up resumes. We start building GPAs. We start building up our persona. And then we start building careers. And then we start going to build things. Can I just be honest? You're going to have a temptation in your life to either build for God or build for yourself. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, what does it say? They said, let's build something great so we can make a name for ourselves." But Jesus said, I came to build the church, and I'm going to use you, Peter, to build people. And if you allow me to use you to build people, watch out. There's this verse. It's a very simple verse. Can I read it to you? Okay, I will. Um, it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. It says that the, the, the purpose of the church right in the Thessalonians, so encourage each other. Because Why are we so obsessed with building? Why? Because our God, our creator, is a builder. He built the earth with his words. Light, darkness, water. He said it and he built it. It's an amazing thing. I mean, read the, the, the creation story of Genesis. That's how powerful his word is. And then he comes as a man, fully flesh incarnate. And he comes and guess what he does? He starts rebuilding nothing into something by using words. You were Simon, now you're Peter, which is rock. You have value. He says to the man in Mark 5, he uses words again. You are no longer demoniac, you are saved. He says to the woman who's sexually ex ex explicit, she's sleeping around like crazy in Luke 7. No, 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 you are forgiven, you are new, you are whole. Come on up to the rich man in Luke 19, Zacchaeus. He has a meal with him. I have no idea what he says, but there's something that happens in that meal with those words. Jesus starts speaking. If you hear Jesus speak, just get ready. He's going to start building something new. We're obsessed with building. Don't tell me you're not obsessed with building. There's a whole channel, HGTV. Who watches Flip or Flop or, or um, Fixer Upper, all right, or, or Extreme Makeover? We love, we love building. We love it. My mom would go to this thing called Street of Dreams every year in Washington. It was where you'd see these new beautiful houses built. And we were on food stamps 
But my mom would say, if you're coming, you got to act on your best behavior. So I'd walk in, yeah, so we summer uh, in Tahoe, and uh, we like to travel there in Paris. I'd, I'd act like a rich kid in the house. Oh, mm, this is a little too small for my liking. Um, but my mom would walk around these houses. She just wanted to see what was beautiful that was recently built in our area. We're obsessed with seeing great things built. So if it's in our DNA, and it's in our heart, because we're made in his image, he's the master builder. And we see this, and I could just teach on building all day long, Corinthians. He says that he's, he's the master builder, and we build upon each other. And, and some of you came from other churches, so somebody led you to the Lord. Now it's my privilege to build upon that, and our church to build upon that, and you to build upon that. It's an amazing thing. But if you asked us today, how are we building people? Things are not going well. If we got the report card back, how's the church building the Bay Area? And the church is not a building. It's how are you building the Bay Area? How am I building people? And I just got two questions today, and we'll be done. The two questions is this. How do we deal with a broken world? How do we deal with a broken world? Rubble everywhere. If you went to San Francisco and found the most liberal person ever, we're talking liberal. Like they opened up their jacket, they got drugs for anybody who needs them, and needles on the other side, okay? Can I say that? I did. I did. (laughs) And you asked them this question. Do you want to fix this broken world? They would say, yes, look at my jacket. Clean needles. I want to fix this broken world. And they would tell you they're fixing this broken world. If you went to a Republican, I've been to Alabama. Man, there are no Democrats in Alabama, by the way. (laughs) Zero. And um, uh, I was with a bunch of pastors, and they were like, they were just fascinated by the guy who pastored the Bay Area. They were always like, what's it like, man? You know? And I was like, whatever. What's it like pastoring in this area? And they're like, everybody thinks one way, and everybody goes to school and comes back and lives in the same house, same neighborhood. And it's fascinating to hear them. And I, I thought to myself, if I found one of those people and said, do you want to fix what's broken in America? They say, I want to fix it. And they say, we could just get rid of those people. And the other side, we could just get rid of those people. We'd fix it. Because the reality is, is all of us, I think, want to fix it. But if you don't go to the right mindset or the right place, We're just going to get a big old battle and think that our liberal views or conservative views will fix it. But I'm here to tell you that no political thing can fix it. There was four groups during Jesus' time that were dealing with the brokenness of the world. First group was the Sadducees. Last week I talked about what's your soil like. Maybe you can actually ask yourself, what group would I be identified with the most with in this one? The Sadducees were the rich ones. They were the cultural elite. They would uh, basically compromise with Rome because Rome was basically exploiting the Israelites just like Satan is exploiting God's people, oppressing God's people, literally just ruining their lives, the Sadducees didn't mind that unless you made their life terrible. So the Sadducees get aim, and their goal was this. I just want my life to be comfortable. I just want to be rich. Just don't mess with my life. And this is how I'm going to deal with brokenness. I'm going to create my own little bubble of wealth and richness, and I'll compromise as much as you want me to compromise if it doesn't infringe on my comfort. So that was one of the groups. That they just wanted comfort in this broken world. And maybe that's you like, man, I'll just do anything for comfort. I'll work my tail off for money so I can have comfort one day. I want to live in this area so I can have comfort one day. And don't get mad at me. I love me a good, a good suburb. Who loves a good suburb? I love this. I'm a suburb guy. I can't live in the city. I don't want to get mugged when I walk home. I love, I love walking. Hey, neighbor. I love our neighborhood. I love the suburb. But the reality is, is if your aim is comfort, you are lost. Yeah. Second uh, group, there was the Essenes. These would be like the Amish ones. 
And you think, well, there's no Amish people in our area. No, I meet Amish Christians all the time. They bunker up until Jesus comes back. These scenes where they, I just, I don't want to deal with the broken world. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to read my Bible and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to all the church stuff, but nothing else besides church things. I'll go to every, every K-Love concert in Concord. Um, I, I'll go to, I go to multiple churches. I go to every church function. I go to everything church, but I'm just going to stay inside this. I don't, want to, I don't even want to look at this world. I, the, 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 the church is my, 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 my hiding place. That's what these scenes where there's, I'm going to hide. Then there was the zealots. They were the political radicals. They were the ones saying, if we could get the political power, we'll fix everything. And so, you know, of course, when Jesus came, they're like, are you going to be our political leader? And he's like, no. And then this last group is interesting, is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones, I can fix people through the law. I'll give them a bunch of rules. I'll give them all the rules. And not only I give them all the rules in the Bible, I'll create new rules on top of those rules and describe them even more. And then we'll control people even more. And then we'll fix their brokenness that way. So Jesus comes on the scene. And he drives all four groups nuts. To the Sadducees, he says, your comfort, I'm not interested in your comfort. I'm interested in your salvation. I'm interested in you becoming everything called to be. I'm going to stretch you. Sadducees didn't like that. To the, to the zealots, I'm not political. I, I, Jesus very rarely addresses politics. Very, I don't even know. I, there, there's a book that just came out. I'm, I'm going to read it uh, um, by Andy Stanley talking about uh, In It to Win It. And just talking about how Jesus didn't address politics. He addressed heart issues. It's an amazing thing if you just really go, go for that thing. And then the second, uh, the, so he drove, drove, the, drove the zealots nuts. And then he drove the Pharisees nuts because the Pharisees were like, what are you doing hanging out with sinners? We're going to read that in Luke 15 in just a second. He's like, what do you mean, what am I doing hanging out with sinners? You ever know, know what's interesting is when Jesus is eating with people, people lose it. Our culture doesn't have this, but when you would eat lunch with somebody, that's why last week when I talked in Galatians 2, Peter wouldn't eat with the uh, Gentiles at that moment. Who you ate with was like saying, these are my people. I love these people. I'm going the next level with these people. So when Jesus was eating people, he was making a statement. I love broken people. I want to be around them. I want to, re- I want to build them back up. And the Pharisees were like, we don't hang out with broken people. We give them a list of rules. And once they build themselves up, then they can come be a part of this. And so he drove the Pharisees nuts. And he definitely drove the Essenes nuts because he said, man, I didn't, come to, I didn't come to have you bunker. I came to send you into the wild. I came to send you into dark places. And so he drove them nuts. So guess what they did? They killed him. And now we live in the Bay Area, and we think that the world's supposed to love us. You're going to drive people nuts. You start to live Jesus' way, political people are going to try to put politics on you. You're like, no, no, that's not, that's not where I'm at. People always want to know my political opinion from the platform. People always are, why don't you post a lot of political things on Instagram? Because I'm not here to be political. I'm here to change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People, people ask me, why did I plant a church? Rachel and I had a great life. We had a great, I was, I, I had, I could take a one week vacation every four, uh, every, every three months. We went to Maui every year. I had a golf club membership. Our life was going great. I would, you could say I was so much like, I had almost, I remember the first time in my life, I, I couldn't pray this prayer. God, take what you want to take and add what you want to add. I couldn't pray that prayer in that season. It was the first time he could actually take something I didn't want him to take. I always grew up poor. It was very easy to pray that prayer. God, take what you want to take, food stamps and all. Oh, you took the food stamps. Well, you did it again. Government cheese. Take it if you want. But now I remember just in that season, I was like, take what you, no, I, love my, I love my comfort for the first time. Like, I'm making financially like, money where we can actually experience life where I never thought I could. I, and it was hard to pray for a season. And I remember Rachel and I processing, do we want to go risk it all so people can come to know Jesus? 
Do we want to not receive a salary for months and months so we can burst something where people can come find the gospel? We said yes. That's not those four doors. And some of you, you're not going to have to answer that in the sense you have to leave your job and say yes to full-time ministry, but you're going to have to leave an old schedule for a new schedule. You're going to have to sit down with people you love and say, do we want to leave this comfortable schedule and start building what God called us to build? We built this thing over here. How's that going for you, by the way? Are you fulfilled? Because this, this thing that you build on this side, the way that it lies to you, the way the enemy lies to you, oh, it's just the next one around the corner. It's just the next one around the corner. Just the next season, then you'll be fulfilled. Until the end of your life that you built your own thing and you've never been fulfilled and you missed out on the, why, the reason why you're alive. Oh, do not build your own thing and say it's a good thing. Say, maybe this next season, I want to build what God called me to build. A schedule that builds people, a, a, a schedule that builds the house, a schedule that builds what actually matters in this world. If you're a business person, build that place in a way that would glorify God. If you know people, build them in a way that would glorify God. If you're married, build that marriage in a way that would glorify God. I'm not asking you, because whenever people hear, like, all right, uh, sweetie, you heard Pastor Tower, we need to be monks. I'll never, I'll never forget this. We're... we're I'm serious. Uh, I'm, we're, we're about to plant the church. We meet with a couple. We ask them to go plant the church with us. That's it. Like, just come plant the church with us. They come back the following week. We're in. We're quitting our jobs this week. And we're going to help. No, don't, don't quit your job. Like, like, like well, I thought you said to come plant the church. Yeah, you don't have to, like, quit your job and become a monk with us. We're asking you to help maybe lead a small group. Maybe serve in kids ministry. Love people. Don't quit your job. They're like, oh, and I was like, and Mary and I are like, what a, that's a pretty impressive couple, though. They're willing to quit their job. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to live, but they're like, God, we're in. You'll take care of the details. But when I say things like this, people feel like, it's over. It's over. I'll, I'll quit everything, and I'll start a new thing. No, it's God wants to infiltrate your stuff and make it all new. He wants to come into your business and make it a new way. He wants to come into your marriage and make it new. He wants to come to your schedule and make it new. He's not trying to... Ter- Stop believing the lie from the enemy that God is horrible. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up today. Okay, bear with me, bear with me. Um, I gave up coffee. This ain't even coffee, by the way. I don't even drink coffee anymore. This is just high alkaline water, Essentia, 9.5. If you had a kid and your kid came up to you and say, Mom, Dad, I love you. I came to this conclusion. I trust you. You know best. You are my parent. Lead me. Tell me how to live. I'm going to come seek counsel from you. Before I date somebody, I want to know what you think and what I'm going to do in my life. Oh, tell me what you want me to do. Lead me. You're my parent. You know best. Do you think the parent's going to like this? Finally, I'm in control. Go to your room and sit there and drink milk for years. Ah. But for some reason, you think, if you go, God, I came to this conclusion. You're a better builder than me. Build my life. I'm going to come to you. And if you tell me to build a certain way, I'll build that way. And if you tell me to live a certain way, I'll live that way. If you tell me to forgive a certain way, I'll forgive that way. Do you think God goes, yes, now I'll destroy you. you he says that when a father, when you get a kid asks for a gift, 
A father doesn't give a stone. They give the best they can. So earthly parents, you know what would happen. It would melt your heart. Oh, I want to help my kid live the greatest life they've ever lived. I want them to have a better life than me. That's the desire of parents in the house. Can we get an amen for that? What do you think the heavenly father's desire is for your life? Do you think he died on a cross to punish you? He said, no, my intentions are to give you an abundant life, to build something you can never build, to give you tools that you never would have been able to have. And for some reason, we bought into this lie that God doesn't want to build something special in our life, so we'll build ourselves. Oh, can we believe God today? Yeah. I was supposed to read Luke 15. <laughs> I'm going to read some of it. Is that cool? Let's do it. Because that's how we build a broken world. How does Jesus build a broken world? Let me read to Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. So they started muttering. The religious people started, what's he doing hanging out with sinful people? Can I tell you something real quick? If you're in the house and you've done some stuff, you're in the right place. Right. If you've done some stuff, stuff, you're still in the right place. Okay. So good. This, is, this is who Jesus hung with. Yeah. The worst of the worst. And not only that, what's interesting is you see Paul, as he developed as a believer in Christ, the more sanctified he got. Do you know how he associated himself? Hey, it's me, Paul. Very beginning, he's like, I'm the least of the saints. And then he goes, you know what? I'm, the, I'm, I'm still not doing too good. And at the end of his life, when he's about to die, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. It's amazing what happens when you start to see yourself in God's eyes. You'll see two things in this thing that I'm going to show you. You'll see, as we read Luke 15 in God's eyes, you'll see that you are infinitely lost. That you are so broken. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I mean, broken, broken. That's what Paul, the more Paul got to see God, he's like, oh my goodness, was I broken? I was the chief of broken. But you're infinitely lost, but also you'll see in Luke 15 that you're infinitely valued. Yeah. That you are so broken that somebody would come and put red tape and say, this cannot be rebuilt, move on infinitely broken. But Luke 15 just goes, I get it. You guys think these people are done. And in your ways, they are done. But I'm a man who fixes broken things. And so he shows us how to fix broken things in Luke 15. I've never saw it this way, but as I was praying, God brought me to Luke 15 out of all the places to say, let me show you how I build. Let me show you how I save a broken world. So it says this in Luke 15. He says, tax collectors and notorious sinners were there. They were mad. So he just told them the story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy. Everybody say, more joy. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. When did the church make the goal of church to be perfect? When did the church give all their effort to make sure, hey, uh, we didn't do that correctly. Uh, communion, we could have done this a little bit better. Can I just tell you real quick? This is what one of, the, uh, one of my commentaries said. Uh, do I have it? Please tell me I have it. Oh, gosh, I don't think I saved it. No, hold on. I think I saved it. You know what? I didn't save it because I had like, oh, yes, I saved it. There we go. One of the... One of, one of the um, uh, one of the commentaries uh, that I was saying said this, Jesus is saying that if Christianity is rightly understood, if it's rightly done, rightly proclaimed, it's the only religion in the world that religious people hate. Wow. Go and say, if religious people don't hate it, it's because it's not being proclaimed. Wow. When you start to reach to the lost, all the 
Religious people that have a view, uh, do you allow this? I mean, I, 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 I'm going to come against religion real quick. Can I come against religion? People ask me, okay, uh, what's your view? Uh, do you believe in women senior pastors? I'm not coming if you do. That's why you're not going to come to the church? That's your one thing? You'll pick up, like, you go to a church that hasn't had 100 salvations, but some side issue that literally is like a side issue because you look at Timothy, so many theologians have debated it, but that's your issue? Uh, I, uh, I'm not going to say the way this guy said it, but he, he talked about reaching the lost. He said, he went to this uh, conference and he said, the problem with the church and why it's broken is because we have a bunch of religious people who don't give a, and he, he cussed, he goes, S-H-I-T, about anybody going to hell. He goes, nobody gives a blank about people going to hell. And then he goes, and everyone's like, oh, and he goes, you know what? I, I can prove it to you. You're more mad that I said the four-letter word than you are about people going to hell. You're ready to shut me down. You're ready to use all your energy because I said one word instead of use all your energy to go reach the lost. And the reality is, is that's the church in so many facets. I care so much about this. But there's more joy when a broken person is rebuilt. I'm not saying we don't live according to the word. I'm not saying we go outside the boundaries of God. But what I'm saying is that you better use your energy to build people up. Stop using your energy. Go, oh, hold on a second. I don't know if I agree exactly with that last word in that song. Church is going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Um, there was this terrible illustration a pastor made a, a while ago. And uh, he, he had this um, uh, rose and he held it. And I remember hearing it. It just grieved me. And it kind of went viral for a little while. It's the worst, worst, one of the worst ones ever. But he's talking about living for God and, and, and talking about holiness, you know. And, and what's interesting about holiness is people think you can't be holy and happy. You actually can't be happy without being holy. And so, so he's talking about holiness, but in the wrong context. Holiness does not mean less sinful. Uh, the opposite of holiness is set apart. I'm living for God. So, so, so he's talking about holiness, but he's unpacking holiness in the worst way. So that's part of it. Like, he's not exegeting scripture. So he's doing damage. He's hurting people. So he goes, we got to live holy. We got to live different. And so he's looking at this rose. He goes, when you live with the world, you lose a piece of you every single time. So he starts peeling the rose. You know, you, 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 you date a certain way and, 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 and do things a certain way. And you, you start using your finance for a certain way. And you go sleep around like this and you do this. And by the end, the rose has no petals on it. And he goes, who would want this rose? What, what good is this rose? What can it do? And he goes, this is the rose you want to be. And he pulls out another rose. And, and the reality is, is if Jesus was in that room and the guy peeled all those things off, person did this and this, and with no petals, and he'd say, who would want this rose? Jesus would be in the room and say, I want the rose. I, I, I want the rose. I, that's the rose I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing the rose that thought the world could satisfy. But I'm going to bring wholeness to it. I'm going to bring holiness to it. I'm going to make it a new rose. I'm the redeemer of the redeemed. This is what I do. So many people don't know that. They know your views on this and that and this. Trust me, when people are like, what's your view on this? Everybody knows our view on these things. But do they know that there's a God that can fix the broken things? Do they know there's a God that wants them and pursues them, that will leave the 99 and go seek them out? We got two minutes. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase some things. Okay, I'm gonna condense this real quick and then we'll be done. There's three things that happen in Luke 15. You have the lost um, uh, sheep, that sheep is lost because of foolishness. And I could preach on sheep stuff. There's a reason why God doesn't call himself a horse trainer. Because if a horse goes wild, it's a wild horse. If a sheep goes lost, a sheep dies. Sheep don't survive without a shepherd. 
horses can survive without a horse trainer. He goes, so I'm looking for the ones. And if you ever study um, shepherds, it's very obvious. It's very interesting what they have. Sheep lose direction all the time. Sheep chase grass when they chase the shepherd. Sheep will chase grass on a side hill so steep where they'll eat the grass up and then they won't be able to get back up and they'll just fall to their death. They just think about eating grass and not the next step. That's what sheep do. And that's what a lot of us do. I'm just chasing the next thing that will fill my belly. The next thing that'll make me feel kind of good. The next thing for this. And then afterwards, like, oh my gosh, but this led to my death. And so she just goes, I, I had a sheet that ran for some grass and I'm going to go get it back and I'm going to pursue it. And then the second one, so that's foolishness. So, so some of you are broken because of just foolishness. Second thing that happens a lot is carelessness. A coin gets lost in a house. It talks about a coin being lost in a house and the coin's lost and uh, the lady's looking for it. She turns the house upside down, finally finds it and celebrates finding this lost coin. So, so carelessness is a reason why we, we sometimes experience brokenness. And then the, the last part, we call it the prodigal son, but it's not the prodigal son. It's the, the, Jesus calls it the story of the two sons because both sons are broken. One looks worldly broken because one leaves and is eating out of the, the pig feed and he's, he's lost because of his, his pride. And so he has this moment where he comes with his senses, comes back home. And he, of course, you know, his father wraps around him and, 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 and you know, um, celebrates a party. And the other son's upset and both of them are lost. One is lost in worldly sin and one is lost in religious sin. And both are pride, but different prides. So you have two sons that are lost. And he told the story of the Pharisees saying, you're the older brother. The story of the prodigal son is this fascinating story about this son who goes away and lives a wild life and then comes back to his home because he realizes that the world had nothing for him but to destroy him. So he came back home to be rebuilt. But we missed one of the greatest stories in it. It's the older brother being so lost in his goodness and his religion. And if you know anything about the study of Luke 15 in the context of an older brother in that, in that society, is the older brother's job was a couple of things. You would be the um, heir to the uh, family estate. It's kind of nice. But you're also in charge of making sure the family stayed together. So if a brother left, guess whose job it was to go get him? The older brother's job. And the older brother never one got the younger son. He didn't, he didn't, even, he didn't care about it. He, he cared more about staying on there and making sure that he could get what he was supposed to get and have what he was supposed to have. And so he missed out actually on his purpose and he missed out on the celebration. It's amazing why some people get so upset about salvation. It's because you haven't led somebody to salvation for a while. You haven't built somebody up for a while. Evangelism in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts is fascinating. They didn't bring people to church and just have them raise their hand because they couldn't bring people to church a lot of time because you brought somebody to church that wasn't saved, they could report you and kill everybody. So it was like, hey, I don't know. I can't bring them until they're Christian because if they tell people about us, we're an underground church. And so I got to lead them to Jesus and then I can bring them in because I know they're safe people. So evangelism was a, it was a, it was a street thing. I'm going in the streets. I'm leading people to Jesus. I'm going to build broken people. So there's three things that Jesus shows us on how to build in Luke 15. I'm going to show you and then we'll be done. First one is this. He shows us if we're going to build people, we need to pursue broken people. So what does it look like to pursue somebody? Like, like, he's like, like I'm following you. That's weird. Don't do that. All it means to pursue people is to live life with them. Jesus was eating with them. Live life with people who don't know Jesus. Share the goodness of God with them. Invite them to church. Tell them about Jesus. Share the story of Jesus with them. And maybe you just, maybe you lead them to Jesus when you talk to them or you bring them to church. That's how we pursue people is you give them some of your time. It's crazy, I know. I know, just think about it, okay? Second thing is work. It's funny, the, the coin was lost in the house. That means people get lost in the house at times. You can lose yourself in religion, lose yourself in apathy, lose yourself in judgmental, lose yourself in an offense. So the, the coin was lost in the house, the sheep was lost in the world. But how, do, how does the house stay healthy? Labor. The woman said, I gotta go to work. Things are lost in the house. 
it's gonna take labor, it's gonna take workers. The harvest is many, but the workers are few. We're launching um, uh, small groups today. It's an amazing thing. Come on now, small groups are launched today. Let's go. 10 new small groups. 10 new small groups in summer. All that says to me is 10 people said, I wanna labor. I wanna work for the house of God. I wanna create a space for people who are new to God, brand new to God, maybe never knew God, they could come and hang out with us and maybe experience the goodness of God. Uh, uh, we, need, we need laborers to find lost coins. We need laborers in kids ministry. We need laborers in youth ministry. We need laborers on the worship team, laborers on the production team and the welcome team. We need laborers. And the third one is, is you need a family to celebrate you when you do come home. That's prodigal son's story. You need people that will wrap their arms around you and say, hey, from this point on, we love you. I didn't know you before, and I love you right where you're at, but I love you too much to leave you there. I'm gonna champion you on your good days. I'm gonna champion you on your hard days and believe for better things for you. The whole kingdom mindset is when somebody gets saved, we throw a party. Um, It's interesting, Jesus uh, calls disciples together. I'm done, literally in 30 seconds if you're like, it is a hostage situation. We have transferred to hostage situation. 30 seconds and I'll let you go, okay. It's interesting, I never saw communion like this uh, until I started studying this message and it just, it was like so obvious to me. I was like, how did I not see it that way? Jesus gathers his disciples um, for their Passover meal. The Passover meal, you know, is all throughout the Old Testament. It required a few things, uh, some bread, some wine, and then a lamb to sacrifice representing the, the Passover in Egypt. And I, I wish I had time to, but basically where God passed over Israelites and basically destroyed their enemies. But as, as darkness, uh, as death came, they were protected from it. And so the Passover meal uh, was judgment, but they were protected from the judgment. And so there was always a lamb involved in the Passover meal. And then you look in uh, the gospels, there's always the Passover meal, but the lamb's missing. How do you have a Passover meal without the lamb? Well, Jesus is the lamb, by the way. So you have the bread, you have the cup, and then you have the lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. That is gonna be the ultimate Passover, that, 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 that judgment and death and destruction will pass over us, and now we're gonna be built back up. But here's what's interesting about this whole story of, of, the, of community. He goes, hey, this bread, when you receive it, will you receive it and remember why you're receiving it? I'm gonna be made broken so you can be remade. I'm gonna be broken down to rubble. I'm a perfect wall a wall that's never sinned, the best wall this world's ever seen, and I'm gonna be torn down to rubble so your rubble can be made to something brand new that the world's never seen. He goes, so every time you eat, remember, I'm the man who fixes things. And then he says, this cup represents my blood, poured out for you, paying the price, that when you are living your life, you need to know something. I didn't pay for you to have a half full life or a half abundant life, I paid the price in full so you could have a full life, that you could have an abundant life, that you could be made new, that there would be a new birth. So every time you take communion, can you remember this, disciples? I'm the king that fixes broken things. Because you're gonna break something next week, receive communion, you can fix this too, God. Will you bow your heads? I don't know if it's your first time, second time in church, third time in church, but you've never said yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to curse, and you never said yes to Jesus. If you wanna say yes to Jesus today with every head bowed and eye closed, on the count of three, the Bible shows that God opens our eyes to who he is. And for some reason today, you're like, some, my eyes opened up to something. 
My heart's open to saying yes to salvation today. I want to say yes to Jesus today. I want to say yes to salvation. Yes to blessing or cursing. If that's you, that tug, don't ignore that tug. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If you want to say yes to salvation, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand and respond to what's happening in your heart right now. On the count of three, you want to say yes to Jesus. I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it high. I want to pray for you. I see you. God bless you. Come on. God's, God, come on. More joy is because of that hand than anything else. I see that hand. More joy because of that hand. Come on now. Come on, church. You can clap for that. You can clap for that. Will you stand up? I'm going to pray. When people get saved, the first thing that we should do with them is just pray a prayer with them. So this is a big old family prayer for the people who got saved today. You guys ready? Repeat after me. Jesus, come into my life today. I declare that you are my Savior. I'm a sinner. And you saved me today. So today, I declare I'm going to become a builder. Not for myself, but for your kingdom. Everybody said? Can I pray for you real quick? God, we love you. Oh, Lord, I just, I feel like today's message wasn't one of those ones where we're going to leave and live a normal life. God, I believe you're doing heart surgery. God, I believe that you are changing people's schedules right now. I believe that you are tugging on hearts. Lord, I just come against the lie, even as people leave today, that if they make this decision, they're leaving greatness and abundance. No, they're leaving lack and walking into their promise. Oh, may they believe you, God. Oh, God, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.